Welcome to Season 8 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and through our partnership with Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. Their motto is simple. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature one of Chicago's premier sports talk show hosts, Dan Bernstein. When I first laid eyes on Belmont and Laverne, I, I'm like, this is a radio station? Like, really? mm. this, this, is, this is the big time? But I'm like, like the stations in Rockford are nicer than this, you know? Because it, it is like, okay. And I, we go in the back and I go in Ron's office and we do the interview, we talk, and I've got my I nice suit and tie on, the whole thing. And and I head home, and it was I don't know maybe maybe a week later I have an offer for you, so that was it that was the big break. Dan Bernstein established himself as one of the city's top sports talkers and did so solo and then with some very top-notch co-hosts. His celebrated partnership with Terry Boris lasted 17 years, and he's currently working alongside Lawrence Holmes himself, a guest on this podcast. A Duke grad with an aptitude for just about anything, Bernsey, as he's best known, has tackled all sorts of subjects. But his favorite just might be food. So, Bernsey, Dan Bernstein, tell me a story I don't know. I don't think you know this one. And it takes us back to, I, I'm trying to remember if it's either 1988 or 1989. And it was either the first or second year that the Charlotte Hornets had joined the NBA as an expansion team. So a group of us in college in Durham decided we'd, we'd try to get some nosebleed tickets into the then- brand new state-of-the-art Charlotte Coliseum. It was obsoleted in like 15 years, <laughs> but it was then a really cool place to be. It's about a three-hour drive then from Durham to Charlotte. So we had three of us who were from the Chicago area, a buddy of mine from Highland Park and a buddy from Schaumburg, who were, were all Bulls fans. And we said, look, this, this might be the best way we're going to see the Bulls. Instead of trying to get a ticket at Chicago Stadium, let's, let's, let's go here and see them in Charlotte. So we get tickets way up top in the thing. And at the time, it felt like this giant basketball arena. They were pretty popular in, in Charlotte at the time. But it was fun. And there's Jordan and Pippen. And you know we weren't worried about load management and buying those tickets and having folks not play because we knew that they would and we got there very 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 early like just as the doors were opening because why not and we take our seats way 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 up top and we're watching warm-ups and watching everybody go through their paces and you know the you've been to these games early you know the rhythm of the game and you mm -hmm. hear a little bit of music people practicing the anthem or whatever it is and johnny kerr is sitting on the bull's bench on one of the folding chairs, just you know, talking to people, doing what he does, having all these conversations. And I say to my friend next to me, I said, what do you want to bet? 
that I can go down and sit right next to Johnny Kerr right now. <laughs> and he goes, nah, come on. There's, there's security. There's people there. They're not going to let you. I said, I said, just give me a few minutes. So what do you want to bet? He's like, fine. Just don't do it. Don't get us kicked out. Just don't get us thrown out. And if you get thrown out, we're not coming to get you. You're going to have to go sit and wait for it. That's a deal. So I head down the the escalators and all the way back around, and I find there's like a little service entrance. And you got to remember how this is this is pre 9-11, obviously. And sec- the, the entire idea of security was very different. So I don't have a, a notebook. I don't have a credential. All I had was it just some creativity and some balls. So I introduced myself anytime I was, I, first of all, the rule is just go and chances are nobody's going to stop you. And I had, if I had a clipboard, a hard hat and wire rim glasses and a reflective vest, that would have been easy because that can get you, you can get anywhere you want if you got that, but I didn't. So the first rule is go until you're stopped. I guess it was reporter instinct then. And so surprisingly, I didn't have anybody say boo to me. It just one word until I got onto the level of the locker room hallway by all the the, the curtains and and down there at that main concourse where, where both locker rooms are down in the corner. And finally, there is a fairly blase security guard standing there who just kind of gave me gave me a look like a once over and said, excuse me, do you have a pass? And I said, I'm, I'm, I am so sorry. I, I got to let me tell you what happened. And I told them that I was a student journalist with, which is true. I was with uh, cable 13, the student uh, station at Duke university, the student cable station. And that, cause that was all true. And I explained that there'd been a mix up and I'd be more than happy to, to give my whatever information they need and you can double check just to make sure I showed my student ID and I said I am, I am a student I had arrangements to come here because I'm from Chicago and whatever and he bought it so he said oh okay yeah that's that's no big deal just he said just don't if you don't we won't have a seat at press row and I said don't worry about it. I just there's a couple interviews I had planned so I walked by and I sit down right next to Johnny Red Kerr <laughs> and introduced myself and he said, hey, how's it going? And I sat there for, I don't know, 10 minutes talking to him about the team. And I said, what do they think about this new guy's BJ Armstrong? Why, why isn't he starting? And he tells me, I think they're going to let, they want Paxson to take the team around the league once. And then maybe they're going to work BJ in a little more. And, and it was just, I'm trying to hold it together because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it look like I'm, I'm starstruck, but there's Jordan just working out. But I had, already done a, a 40 minute one-on-one with Jordan some the two years before as a senior in high school when they filmed a McDonald's All-American commercial at Deerfield so it wasn't it wasn't crazy oh my god I'd never never been this close to him before but I I look up at my friends way up in the seats I give him a quick little salute I shake Johnny Kerr's hand I said thank you so much for the time go Bulls and uh walk back to my seat and the reaction were they just they said, I can't believe it. They said, you, so they, they were betting amongst themselves. Like the two of them were like, he's going to do it. No, he's not. He got thrown out. So I think, I think they were just relieved more than anything else that, that, uh, that we weren't punished for it. You should have had your food and drink paid for something. Well, yeah, I think we, we, we ended up divvying that up because we're all, we know we're all ending up at Waffle House anyway. 
you always talk about Waffle House, and I'm thinking about Skull. Come on, you could do better than that. But you love Waffle House. Oh, it was the greatest. Waffle House is a culture. And then I'm like, oh, mixed fruit. And they, they had just like restocked like all the jellies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I need all of the mixed fruit that you can give me. Yeah. For this. I don't know what I, it is. I don't know either. I, every time I'm at Waffle House, and I, I, I never about jelly on the toast guy, but if I get my regular order, it's sort of like my little sweet dessert where I save the toast at the end and because I throw the eggs in with the hash brown, so I don't need the toast to mop up the, the egg yolk. So that I do a little the mixed fruit jelly on there, and it's just like the perfect finish off to the meal. I don't know why it is. There's something that makes you want. I don't like jelly. I don't eat jelly. You talk about food a lot. You love food. You love to prepare it. You like to talk about it. It's almost like your mouth waters when you discuss it. Well, and and the, what happened is with everything got away from the I. I started enjoying it before it became a, a, a its own industry. Like the idea of the the whole concept of being a, a foodie. Mm. First of all, the restaurants are just too expensive now. Like I can I, I look at what things cost, and if it's not a special occasion, or if it's not you know, gift cards or somebody else paying for it, I, I I just I don't know how people can have the the discretionary income to afford to eat out all the time. Where it coincided with us was before we had kids. And my wife and I, or girlfriend and I at the time had decent jobs and that's what we did. And we had a lot and, and this city's so wonderful. I think now having, being able to have a house with a nice kitchen that we got to build and being the, the fun of it now hasn't been so much all of the newest restaurant and the, the coolest restaurant because we're way too old for that, but it's been raising both of our kids with a love for cooking and eating and being adventurous. I think having to instill a sense of, I've never had that before. And in in the youngest ages, instead of it being, ew, I've never heard of that. I don't want to try it. (laughs) Defaulting to, oh yeah, for sure. Let's try that. And whenever we've traveled with the kids, they've always really wanted to find new and different and cool and street foods and things. So what are your favorite dishes? Depends what mood I'm in. <laughs> I mean, there's there's different things. I, I, I still love a great steak. And I, I think few things are better than the first couple bites of a, a great, great steak. But I... I have been in a lot more Middle Eastern food, I think, as, as I've gotten older, that some mm-hmm. of those flavor combinations, I've really learned to love Indian food. I can't eat it all the time because the stuff that I like just ravages me. But it, every once in a while, I feel I have to do it. And there's there there's just there's so much great ethnic cuisine in the city where you don't have to go spend a ton of money. Where if you go into the neighborhoods, you go up to Devon and or you go to Pilsen for for Mexican. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. That, that that's what I've really learned to like is is not you, you don't have to spend your time getting the and as much as I I, I love my, the guys that let us entertain you, you don't have to get their version of stuff to get what with stuff that tastes good. So you basically taught your kids you know, how to eat. Did your parents teach you how to eat? Is that where this not comes really, from? Not really. Not really. We grew up very simple. There were, there were a handful of things my mom knew she made well, but we never tried to reinvent the wheel. It, I mean, it was it was good, but I mean, a lot of, lot of, 
a lot of meat and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of steak. My dad grilled a lot, a lot of lamb chops. My, you know, my mom would make pasta and, and a, with a jar of sauce. And it wasn't until later on, he was, was trying to, when, I remember the first sushi restaurant opened up in, in Highland Park when I was like in junior high, I think was the first time I'd ever tried sushi. We didn't have, we didn't have a real Mexican place around. Tacos were Lowry's tacos that you, you made at home with a mix and everything. Right. And I still crave that every once in a while because it's it's you know reminds me of my childhood. But it was the it was really moving when we started to live in the city and just get an appreciation for some things that and travel and and when whether whether it's traveling to Mexico or Montreal or Italy, Spain, and France to just understand that the way they would the, the way they do it and what they appreciate is different than what we appreciate. And I think oh. bring tra- traveling with the kids has been just really special in that regard too. I, I will tell you, and I remember this when I was in Sevilla in, in Spain, it was the first time I ever had blood sausage mm. and it was, and it was fabulous. It was like, mm. wow, this is great stuff. And you know, I didn't, I didn't travel to Sevilla just for some blood sausage and that was great. And it's like, you know, you're having a midnight dinner of fish and French fries. This is like midnight. You're learning, you're in Europe, you're eating late, sometimes really late. But it's good. It's a good experience. Yeah, and just the little the the street foods. I just think the little things where you where you say, "Oh, what's that?" Or you go to my favorite thing to do. My happiest, one of my happiest places in the world, is a big bustling European open market. Whether it's the Bocaria in Barcelona, or the Mercado in in Florence, where it's stalls and individual vendors. And it's a couple of euros. It's a couple of for for whatever it is. And you get in line without knowing and you get to the front of the line and it's, oh, he's frying these whole sardines that he's gutting with his thumb and dredging in flour and throwing in the oil and pulling them out and then putting them in a paper basket. It's days like that where I could spend all day just walking around and, and eating things. And you'll tell me afterward what I just ate. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. Duct, 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I think most people know when listening to you, you are well-educated. You went to Duke. I mean, you, you could have been a lawyer. You could have been a doctor, a computer whiz, an engineer. I don't think you'd be a car mechanic. So what drove not, you to the- Not, com- not computer whiz, not engineer <laughs> for sure. Well, no, I, what... my whole rule, my, the rule of college was never take a course that has a right answer. <laughs> well, what drove you to sports media? Probably laziness. <laughs> probably laziness just well but because it, well the idea of not wanting to go to law school because i just never had a passion for it and and i the, the plan is it was i mean i majored in english but there there were a lot of factors and i think one of the factors was that in high school i competed at a at a pretty high level in acting and and speaking and it was called humorous interpretation dramatic duet acting humorous duet acting something called impromptu speaking all through the ihsa forensics so in college when the at least the for the english majors the duke drama department was almost like like a code share with the English department where drama courses could count towards your English major, which, and that opened up a whole world of cool stuff. And they let you, you, they let you craft your concentration within your major. So I ended up concentrating in American comedy and humor. And it was like, I, I had no idea you, this could be what you study in college primarily. And it made it like, so it wasn't work. And then concurrently the, student television station there cable 13 with no faculty involvement only only student run was kind of run down it was kind of dingy there weren't a lot of motivated people the equipment was kind of eh but we got lucky with a group of people in the sports department who all arrived at the same time and looked around and said well is nobody doing this we can just do shows so over time we got a really motivated group of people who just said well wait a second we can do play-by-play for basketball and football games? Sure. All we need is somebody to work the camera and somebody to wire up this old truck that doesn't work anymore. And we did. And that got us going. And that got me press passes. And that got me into the heyday, the absolute heyday of ACC basketball behind the scenes there. And there's Jim Valvano and there's Dean Smith and there's Bobby Kremens and a a, a young, not-so-famous Mike Krzyzewski at the time. Duke wasn't Duke then. Far from it. So four Final Fours and a senior year national championship later. Sees Davis, Woodbury intercepts. Final seconds, Jordan got the jumper. It doesn't matter, Duke has won its first national championship. And a a multi-million dollar investment by the school in the student station later, all of a sudden I thought, this is something I can do. 
So this, this wasn't one of those childhood dreams. This came about, I don't want to say by accident. I never, th- I, I just remember there was no sports radio for me growing up. The only sports radio we had was, was Chuck Swirsky on CFL at night talking to himself and th- some of the shows in and around the games, pregame, postgame, Jimmy Pearsall and WIND would take. Well, there was Copic, there was Copic too, right? Copic on sports. Yeah, but I couldn't stand him. <laughs> couldn't stand him. Never could. Uh, on the air, off the air, ever. From time to time, I will hear people compare Devin Hester to Gale Sayers. Devin Hester to Gale Sayers? Playoffs? What are those people thinking about? Now, I know that Devin Hester is a brilliant kick and punt return artist, the best of the modern era. But have you ever examined the numbers? Have you ever examined the poetry in motion that defines Gale Sayers? I just, I just thought he was a phony and a blowhole, and it, I just, it, I, I never got that. I never understood it. So it, it wasn't you, there. Were, there was no sports radio. I was in college when my roommate said, "Hey, you ever heard of the Fan?" I'm like, "What's the Fan?" He said, "It's a, it's a station in New York, and all they do is talk sports all the time." I said, "You got to be kidding me." <laughs> And we could we could actually depending at night we could tune it in, we could we could get it six sixty, but if anything I wanted to be Jim Durham, because that was my guy. The, the the only thing that I said this would be a dream job would be calling Bulls games. I, I said if forgive me for interrupting. I've said this before when people people will ask me, who is your favorite sportscaster play by play guy in Chicago. It's and in deference to so many others who've been so good. It's Jim Durham. He's the. I think he's objectively the best. Third quarter underway. Scotty Pippen brings it up. AC Green waits for him at the timeline. Pippen into the front court. Off to the right. It's Horace Grant guarded loosely by Perkins. John packs it out between the rings. Takes it right on the dribble. Ten to shoot. Bounce pass into Cartwright. Off the cut to Pippen for the Beautifully dunk. Beautifully done. The half court offense looked very good that time. No, I, I don't. I don't disagree with that because if you were driving or listening to the game on radio, it's as it's as if you were watching it on TV. Very the, few people. Very few people can do that. If you that was the, I, I patterned my play by my basketball call, the rhythm of it, the description of it after him and his call. What people don't remember is. There used to, the games were simulcast that it, when you tuned a Bulls game in on TV, wherever it was on, on 32 or on nine, the radio call was overlaid. They didn't have a different TV broadcaster. Durham did the radio cast that was on TV. That's how I consumed Bulls basketball. So that's how I knew when he would say in low right between the rings right between the rings when he would say foul line extended right i it was all there it was it was a tutorial and no that that was it was a free tutorial in how to describe basketball because even if you're watching on tv you're getting the radio call well i remember it the best was for me in 1977 i was still at school but we i, I came in we we went the several of us were sitting in the nosebleed seats but that was the year that the bulls went 20 and 4 down the stretch they were under 500 and they made the playoffs and lost two out of three to portland who had bill walton listening to jim durham was like appointment radio 
especially the way that team was playing. They were exciting. That was very exciting. And he is one of the few people, and I said this before, there are certain broadcasters who en enhance a game. You're mm -hmm. going to watch a game. You want to watch the game because you it's the game. But there are certain announcers who do that, who enhance the broadcast. Dick Enberg, for me, enhanced the broadcast. Jim Durham enhanced the broadcast. Harry Carey enhanced the broadcast. And all in very different ways. Very. <laughs> yeah. So you love to talk about your time in Rockford. It certainly sounds like that had a profound effect on your career. Yeah, it was a great incubator. It really was. It was the perfect size market. It was the perfect proximity to like childhood house in Chicago and to opportunity here professionally while being a big fish in a small pond where you could make mistakes in front of a less critical audience, the cost of living was dirt cheap. <laughs> I was living, I felt like I was living like a king on $25,000 a year, which I was more money I'd ever seen in my life. I thought it was incredible. And the media community there was great. It was just really tight. People in radio and people in local TV, there's three local television affiliates and we'd all hang out all the time. And it was just, there were people, we, we, there were only a handful of bars that people went to. And it was a, it was just kind of a, it, it was a great place to come of age as a broadcaster. And the fact that they had a, an affiliated minor league baseball team, a, a the, the Bulls affiliate in the only, real minor league winter minor league basketball league and really inexpensive public golf i mean don't get me wrong after three years it was enough and i was happy to get out of there but looking back on it it was really important to to be able to find your voice in front of us a, a smaller and less demanding audience if you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. I remember when I first met you, uh, when you when you joined the score, I believe it was at one of our functions at some bar, it, correct me if I'm wrong, you were absolutely thrilled to be part of it. So how did you get the job? Well, I had been in touch with Ron Gleason here and there on and off for a while, ever since the score started, and I would listen all the time constantly. And I would listen to Tom Scher and Tom Webb every morning. And... Ron Gleason remembered that when I was in college, I was the kid that won the Dick Vitale sound-alike contest. Ladies and gentlemen, Dick Vitale at the birth of his first child. Oh, it's awesome, baby! It's flat-out awesome! There's the head! It's bald, just like mine! Look at him shake and bake and rock and roll! He's gonna be a PTP, I can tell, a potty-trained Python! I know what you're saying, Rumiel Robinson! You're saying, what about me, Dickie V? Don't worry, Rumiel! You're still my... My Rolls Royce point guard, I want you handling the rock, but I firmly believe that this little guy, this little girl is going to be a true diaper dandy. Yeah. And it was this big national thing. It was on ESPN and, and I, and I won it in a, in a, just a route. And he, I wouldn't, I, and I would send him tapes. Everyone's like, said, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And you know, Ron, I said, well, this, the key, please keep in touch. And I, 
I would always send him updated tapes on my play by play. And I host started hosting a, like a half hour weekly talk show. And I started, and, and at one point he said, you know, we're doing something at where were they were like union station. Could you come do some of your impersonations? Cause I told him I do, I do more than, than just Dick Vitale. I do a Vin Scully and I do a Mike Krzyzewski and all this. Mm-hmm. And I, and I did that. And a couple of times I did a call in one time, I think for some special stick that, that, that Cher was doing Rick Geezer hooked me up. So then when Mike Greenberg left for CLTV and all of a sudden that job was open is when I was, I got right to Ron and, and thankfully Rick Geezer helped me out too. Rick Geezer apparently kept moving my cassette tape on Ron's desk. Who? As the story goes, he would he would keep changing the position of it because he was trying to help me out. <laughs> and so finally, I, I had a, there was like a, a preliminary phone interview. And then Ron said, well, this is a, this is a reporting job primarily. And I've heard some of your anchoring and I've heard your time. I need to hear you as a reporter. Have you done reporting? And I said, of course I have. I'll get that right to you. <laughs> I hadn't done any reporting <laughs> in that way. So I snap into action and this is 94 and I know exactly what, and I know what, I know what a rap was. I knew what, a, I knew what a voicer was because I hear it all the time and I would hear your stuff and I would hear what the reporters on the score were doing. And I said, yeah, sure. I can, I can write that. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> so the assistant coach of the Rockford lightning at the time was Ralph Sampson and Ralph and I had had a fun season together on the road. That was my dude because we 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 hung out. He was a player assistant coach. We we drank a lot of beer together and more. And I said, Ralph, I need a favor. Sure thing, man. I gotta come over to your house. I gotta record something. I said, what are you doing? I said, just just play along. And I, it was something I made up some story about him getting a shot at, at a full-time job. And I said, can I just have you know, a comment on how it would feel to be a candidate for this job? And he does it deadpan perfect. And then I call up Rockford Royals pitching coach, Tom Bergmeier. Mm-hmm. Used to pitch you know, for the, the Red long, Sox, right? Longtime Red Sox lefty yeah. before they called a loogie a loogie. And I said, Bergie. I got to get to the park early because I I got to I got to do something. And I explained to him what's going on. He's like, yeah, sure. No problem. I did the same thing with him. It's like talking about the, the popularity of the slider or something like that and did it as a story. Then I went back through my tapes and I had a tape of I covered the I called the all star game in the in the Hartford Civic Center that year for I, I sort of volunteered for the league. I said, I'll do a call. And the league said, sure, as long as we can couple it up and send it to any markets that want to carry it. I said, no problem. Great. I didn't even make a payment. I said, just, just give me a hotel room. So Terry Ross won the slam dunk contest. Father of current NBA or Terrence Ross, actually. And so I had his sound immediately after he won the slam dunk contest. And I ran onto the court and recorded what he said. So I made, I went over to, the, to which station was it? Because I worked for like, we had, I think it might have been the Christian station, actually. I forgot what the what the call letters are. And I, there was a producer there who I said, you just give me a few minutes and I, I'm going to get on a phone, record it like I'm calling in from somewhere. There's going to be an actuality. It's like, we edited these things together. Took us a half an hour. I threw it onto a cassette and I had it overnighted to Gleason that day. All, all sort of put together three examples of reporting. 
And a couple days later, Ron calls. He said, I'd like you to come in for an interview. And I did. He gives me the address. And when I first laid eyes on on Belmont and Laverne, I, I'm like, this is a radio station? Like, really? mm. this, this, is, this is the big time? This was this was the radio station times two because now here we were with WXRT. There wasn't mm-hmm. a wasn't enough people, you know, not enough room for twenty people, let alone no, forty. But, I, but I'm like, like the stations in Rockford are nicer than this, you know, because it, it is like okay. And I we go in the back and I go in Ron's office and we do the interview. We talk and I've got my I nice suit and tie on the whole thing, and and I head home. And it was, I don't know, maybe maybe a week later, I have an offer for you. So that was it. That was the big break. I started in May of 95. Wow. It just That's seems like time has really flown. You just mentioned some of the impressions. One of the impressions, the best one I ever heard from you, was early on when Charlie Steiner was a guest. Oh, and I've known, wow. I've known Charlie Steiner since 1980. I used to work as a freelance for, for one of the networks he was running. You did an impression of him to him, and it was funnier than anything because he was laughing so so much. I did. God, I don't even remember. I haven't done that in forever. I don't even know if my voice. I I probably probably could do the Charlie Steiner that I used to do then. But but, what what was it? It was a boxer, right? Knocking another tomato can off the shelf in the form of Greg Page. It was something (laughs) like that. And Charlie, I remember I got the real laugh out of him. Oh, oh, he was just, that was what made it really funny. It was not just your impression. He was dying of laughter. I remember, yeah, I hadn't thought of that in forever. Yeah, but that's right. He, he, (laughs) it was like the the famous, the, the, the the very famous Steiner with the, um, the Carl Lewis national anthem. Oh, yeah. When he can't, when he's falling on the desk and he's laughing so hard. But you said you did Coach Kane. You do, you still do him now and then. Well, I can still do a killer Coach K because <laughs> he, he, all he is, is just an extremely nasal Chicago accent where you just make sure you swallow every L. You did another impression as part of a very funny routine, which places the late Jerry Krause at a diner. Okay, sir, do you know what you're going to have? Uh, at this point, we could go in any direction with our pick. We've looked over our options very thoroughly, I mean real carefully. Uh, we will not be limited by what anybody else is doing. Well, we have something to announce, it will be announced. If we want a salad, uh, we will choose a salad. We could select a franchisee, uh, even an open-faced uh, hot turkey platter, <clears throat> perhaps a full dinner that includes a jello square with fruit cocktail in it. There is plenty of food. I'm confident that when we make our decision, uh, we've not made any decision yet, that we will come away from this diner with an excellent lunch. Who are some of the newer people that you do? Uh, or do you? No, I, I, I don't really anymore. I don't work on it. I don't, if, 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 I, if I find myself able to do something, I will. But I, I used to really work on it. Because it, 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 it takes a lot of work. But I, it's, it's not something I've, I've tried to do. It's also that so many broadcasters have homogenized that there there are just so many that that, that sound similar. Alike. Yeah, there are, there are there are a lot of really unique speech patterns out there anymore. As you mentioned, uh, part of your early job with the score was covering the Bears, and you I think you got lucky in covering Dave Wanstead, who is one of the great storytellers in the history of storytelling. 
I got to go up to the front desk and tell this poor girl that I'm George Trafton. And I think, you know, and she looks at me and, and they're all standing there looking. So I sign in under George Trapp. And I said to my wife, ah, this is ridiculous. These guys are going to take the, I need a drink. These guys are going to take the. If you had told me that the Dave Wanstead that coached the Bears would have become this grandfatherly, sweet, energetic, mega media star, I would have laughed you out of the room. I just never thought he would want to do it. I never thought he'd be this comfortable in front of a camera or behind a microphone. I just, it's, it's, it's shocked me what he has turned himself into. It really is amazing. He's a much better broadcaster than he was a head coach. <laughs> My thanks to 670 The Score, WFAN New York, NBC Sports, and Tell Me a Story I Don't Know with Dave Wanstead. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Rees for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them on the web at mrduct.com. Tune in next week when we feature part two with Dan Bernstein on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide-open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.